modern church has this thing that goes on that is a, a lot of talk, and it's, it's this idea of retention. How do we retain people in your church as a pastor? How do we keep them coming back? And uh, there's been a lot of talk about it and a lot of studies and a lot of things that have been done to address it. One of the most successful things is uh, something we don't do, do, but one of the most successful things is, uh, is some sort of connect group or life group or home group. Um, and if you've been a part of those before, that's, that's a huge thing in a lot of churches. It's not that we don't do it or wouldn't do it here. We just haven't done it. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's really designed, and a lot of those things are designed to try to connect you with people that are your own age or close to it, uh, kind of come from a similar background, uh, a lot of times have the same skin color, uh, somebody who thinks like you, who talks like you, and hopefully you will build a lifelong bond and friendship with them and never leave the church. It's just a thing. It happens. It may sound gross to you, but it's true. It's something that's talked about in pastors' conferences. How do we get people to stay in my church as a pastor? They come. How do I get them to stick here? Well, the best way is for them to put their roots down, and they found that even bigger than volunteering is if they will meet somebody that they build a lifelong friendship with and usually that person that they meet or trying to connect you with is in the same age group, same socioeconomic status, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea is this, that the two of you as couples or friends would just pretty much reinforce what you already know. And there wouldn't be much confrontational conversation. There wouldn't be much to think about beyond or to be challenged beyond where you're at. And it's a phenomenon in the church. The only problem is, is it actually doesn't represent the community that Jesus embraced. Someone's phone is giving me an amen. Sound like a slot machine. Someone playing slots on their phone. If you think about the table of life that Jesus invited people to, his table was not full of the same people from the same background looking the same and talking the same. Whether it was Zacchaeus, who everyone hated, whether it was the woman at the well, who his own disciple says, why would you be seen talking to that woman? Whether it was the woman caught in adultery where he drew the line in the sand, he was on the side of the adulterous woman, not on the side of the priests and the religious ones. Whether it was the tax collectors he hung out with, on and on and on and on, I could probably give you 50 examples or 100 examples in the New Testament of Jesus' life where over and over and over again, he picked the people that didn't think like him, didn't talk like him, didn't act like him, maybe didn't come from the same background as him, many of them from a completely different religion than him. And that is who he chose to make himself real and available to. Interesting thing is, is that most of the confrontations that Jesus had were not centered at the adulterous woman. They weren't thrown at uh, uh, the tax collector or Zacchaeus or the murderer on the cross. Actually, his confrontations were primarily with the religious. When he confronted, he was confronting the religious mindset that was telling him, don't heal on the Sabbath. Don't talk to that woman. Don't sit at the house of that man. 
Jesus, from almost the very beginning, even when he was in the temple teaching from the very beginning, he was saying, I'm going to do things differently than what religion is telling me I'm supposed to do. And one of the things that he did is he filled his table with people that did not look like him, did not talk like him, did not think like him, came from different backgrounds. Many who had no status, some who had great status, but were hated. His table looked different. Paul, after being away for eight or nine months, he says that the Holy Spirit tutored him. The Spirit of God tutored him. It was a tutor in his life. I want to tell you, some of these things that I'm getting ready to tell you, I can preach till I'm blue in the face, but unless you allow the Holy Spirit to tutor you and to make it real on the inside, you're just going to be acting. It's going to be going through the motions. Some of us need to realize that the Spirit of God is a tutor that is waiting to enlighten us in ways here in our life on the earth that will completely change the dynamic of and the course of our journey. Come on. I can preach till I'm blue in the face, but you've got to allow the Spirit of God to come and tutor you. Come on. Do you believe that? The greatest breakthrough I've ever had in my life was not during worship. It wasn't during uh, uh, somebody speaking, although all of this is extremely valuable in our journey. The greatest breakthroughs I've ever had in my life were times where I was in the fetal position, weeping, crying, feeling like a failure. It comes... In times where you least expect it, the Holy Spirit comes like a tutor and marks your life and changes it forever. And what Paul's saying here is he said, he said, I've been, I've been taught that the Holy Spirit has tutored me. And one of the things that the Spirit of God tutored him on was a, a, a phenomenon that ne it never happened in culture. And that was that you would hang out with or associate with people other than if you were a Jew, a Jew, if you were a Gentile, a Gentile. If you were rich, only the rich. The poor hung out with the poor. You didn't mix cultures. You didn't mix socioeconomic statuses. And so he preaches literally straight up blasphemy when he writes this to the church of Corinth in, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. If you, if you have your Bibles, you can move there. It'll be on the screen. But he's, this is blasphemy. This is like, this would be like me getting up here today and just disavowing everything that's on our website. It's blasphemy in that day considered. And this is what happens. He says, to the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law, I go to them as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I might, might by all means save some. Now, if we take this in modern Christianity, Paul is describing something we hear in the church all the time. We call it compromise. And I, I, I'm going to be, I'm not going to be nice. I'm just going to go for it. What the heck? The reality is we use the word compromise as an excuse not to connect. So we call it compromise, but really we have a fear of connecting with somebody that looks different, thinks different, and acts different than we do. So it's easier just to say, well, I can't, you know, be in that neighborhood. I can't be seen with that person. I can't do that because I don't want to compromise my, my faith. Well, if your faith is compromised by walking through a neighborhood, I don't know if you've got faith. I was joking around in the first service. You go to, a, you know how it is. You go to a birthday party and 
you know, they're playing whatever music that may not be on the Joy FM. And you see, you know, Sister Mary over there bopping her shoulders to Nicki Minaj and judging her left and right. You know? Like maybe she's shooing away a mosquito or maybe she's uh, bopping to the beat of Nicki Minaj, right? You know? The minute we get in an environment as believers that doesn't fit our box, we clam up, we run, or we feel like we have to make some sort of stand. When Paul's saying, become all things to all men so that I can win some, Paul's saying, listen, if they're under the law, act like you're under the law to get your foot in the door. If they're without the law, then go to them without the law. If they're weak, uh, go to them as if you were weak. If they're Jew, go to them as Jew. If they're Gentile, go to them as Gentile. No matter where they come, go to them and meet them where they're at. Don't say, come to me, O oracle of truth. I'm available from 9.30 to about 10.45 on Sundays and 11 to 12.15 on Sundays only. Come hear the oracle of truth. Come hear the wisdom pouring from my mouth as it descends upon thy brain and washes over you like the truth that it is. Come hear me. Or, or if you don't want to come hear me, then you can just go to hell. <laughs> That's fine. The choice is yours. I didn't make the choice for them. I invited them to come hear the truth. And he's saying, go. Invite them to your table. Look at them in the face. My mom says this. Uh, she didn't, didn't uh, coin it, but she's been saying it lately. She says, it's hard to hate up close. Get them at your table and look them in the face. I'm going to preach that in a moment, but I'm telling you right now, Paul is describing something that back then was blasphemy, and I'm telling you right now, it, it, it still feels like that in the modern church theology. I'm going to read to you a little bit more of open, open up this scripture for you. I rebuke the spirit of just down here. Okay. To the Gentiles who have no regard for Jewish sentiment, listen to this. I became like one without any obligation to Jewish laws to win them. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sinning to identify with sinners. I am in the law of Christ. And that's a determination that many folks need to hear. If you need to hear it, I'm sorry. You probably still have religion, some religion that needs to get out of you. If you need me to say every time I preach, this doesn't give you a license to sin, and that makes you feel better about the message, then you probably need to challenge yourself a little bit more. Can I just make a blanket statement from here to the rest of my life? I am never giving anyone permission to sin, okay? In any message ever. Are we clear? We got that? Well, maybe we'll play that in the announcement video or something. I am never, ever giving permission to anyone to sin. There you go. <laughs> Verse 22, listen. I am so persuaded about every person's inclusion in Christ that I desire to be everything I need in order to win everyone's understanding of their own union with Christ. I do not present myself as super strong to the weak, but rather expose myself to their weakness in order to win them. I do not distance myself from anyone. I do not distance myself from anyone. So anytime there is distance that I have put between me and another person, I am missing the message of Jesus. I am missing the message of Paul. I'm missing the message of the gospel. I don't care how weird 
how crazy, how different, what the lifestyle, the choices, uh, whether they've showered or haven't showered, what their clothes look like. I don't care what it is when you put distance between you and another human being. Now, I'm not talking about abusive situations. That's obvious. But any other time, if you put distance between you and them, we are not really living this message. Come on. Listen, I don't care. My mission is to be exactly what is required of me in every possible situation to awaken every kind of person, whoever they are, to their own salvation. I have no other agenda. In other words, I am not here to take my little template and slam you on the head with it. I'm here to hear your story, no matter how different it is from mine. I want to know who you are before I try to shove some template, uh, perfectly packaged gospel message down your throat. I'm telling you, the realest, most amazing moments where people have received salvation and have received Jesus don't come because somebody presents it in the cutest way. It has happened, it has happened in bar rooms. It's happened in alleyways. It's happened in the back of cars where somebody just began to weep. I was in New York City recently and had, had lunch with some folks and one of them is uh, just an uh, amazing um, influencer on YouTube and Instagram and stuff like that. He, he, one of his videos alone is 35 million views, just one video of his alone. And I, and I, I had uh, uh, sushi with him, and we were at the restaurant, and I was determined that I was not going to be Pastor Dan. That doesn't mean that I was compromising anything. I just wanted to be a part of their culture and what they were doing. And so I just assimilated to the conversation and talking about it. And we were watching videos of his and showing other crazy prank videos and laughing and having a good time and eating sushi. And it was like one of only two breaks I had in eight days. And I was determined that I just was going to be off the clock and all of that. And in the middle of it, another friend that was there said, I bet you'll never guess what he does for a living. Now, you might think that's a, like, that's, you might think that's a bad thing. For me, I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was like, the fact that you don't think I'm a preacher is a good thing. You think, well, you should carry yourself like a pastor. Well, what does that look like? Because most of the people that carry themselves like a pastor, I don't want to be around. Don't give me this, sister. So great to see you. Bless you, honey. Bless you. I don't. It's like. Just like, no, I'm still trying to wipe the sticky bun off of me. It's like just empty calories, empty words. I don't want to come across as a pastor. I want to cross, come across as somebody that's full of hope and joy and full of promise and full of something that people just can't quite put their finger on and need to ask about. You know what I mean? And if they find out I'm a pastor later, okay, but I, I hide that. They ask me what I do for a living. I say I'm a photographer. Because immediately they shut you down if you say pastor. So I come up with something else, and, uh, and, or I just say I'm a consultant. I consult with people about Jesus, but I'll just, whatever it is, I just say consultant. I'm telling you, so I'm sitting here with this guy. He's a major influencer. He probably has 100 million views on YouTube alone. And uh, we're sitting here, and this other guy says, you'll never guess what he does for a living. And he guessed all sorts of things, none of which are appropriate in church because he knew it had to be outlandish, okay? And after a while, something more outlandish than he could have ever guessed comes out of my friend's mouth. And that was, he's a pastor. <laughs> and the guy goes. Uh, 
I have some questions for you. <laughs> you get me? Uh, it's too late. It's too late. You can't reject me now. We just had laughs and fun together. We're buddies. If you reject me now, you're in trouble. We're buddies. And so now you're going to talk to me about all of the things that have hurt you from church and why you don't believe and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to get a chance in a really just kind, sweet, buddy kind of way just to share with you the truth of the gospel that has found, the hope that is found in Jesus. All because I was willing to be all things to all men in that moment. And I wasn't worried about somebody seeing me saying, is he carrying himself like a pastor? I don't even know what that means. I'm carrying myself as a Christ follower, a believer, somebody who knows that we have to do whatever we can to build relationship and connection and let people know that I care about you and I hear you even if you think differently, look differently, have a different career of a different socioeconomic background your skin color is different your orientation is different whatever it may be I want to know you I want to know you for who you are your hopes your dreams your aspirations everything inside of you your, I want to know I want to know I want to hear you and I love it because he says I have no other agenda than that they would they would be that we, they would have a moment where they would see the union of Christ inside of me and they would desire it for themselves in their own way that's it Come on. I got to hurry up. Psalms 23, 5 says this. You guys know this. Psalms 23, it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And it says, you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. But what you have to understand about the culture of the time, and I was corrected recently by somebody that said, it's not just the culture of the time. It's even the culture today in Jewish uh, in the Jewish faith and culture is that they, if they invite you to their table, I've been invited to a couple Shabbats and I've gone to Shabbat dinners and it is a real honor. You show up on time. You, 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 you dress appropriately. You, you don't, you're not on your phone. You, everyone has their phones put away. That, that moment, that communion, that community that is here, it's very important. But what you have to understand in order to be present, you have to be seated. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Lord, you're not asking me to sit at the table with my enemies, are you? You see, if you were a woman or you were a servant or you were a slave or you were anybody else, you could be in the room, but you weren't present. You couldn't speak. You couldn't have input. You had to be basically seen and not heard. You would come in. You would serve. But the ones that their presence was noted the ones that had a seat at the table, which means God's actually preparing a table and wondering if you're okay with your enemies having a seat. And here's the switch. It's all in the same verse. It's not two separate thoughts. It's one thought. The thought is, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. So you want to know the secret to the cup of your life of joy, of peace, of all of the things that we desire as believers, as humans. Not even believers, just as humans. All the things that we desire for that to overflow in our life. Learn to sit at the table with somebody you think is your enemy. And like my mom says, it's hard to hate up close. So you think they're their enemy, but when you're sitting across the table and you begin to hear their story, you're going to find out real quick, huh, I'm finding less and less I dislike about you. And I want to 
take this a step further. It says, you anoint my head with oil. When you anoint somebody's head with oil, the, the, the spiritual uh, significance of it is it, it, it's the anointing or the Holy Spirit. Just like Paul said, the Spirit tutored him. So the Spirit of God, and what they would do with the sheep is they would take the oil and they would put it on the, the sheep's head because it would prevent those things that would irritate their ears and lay eggs in their ears. There's a significance here if you can see it and hear it. The things that would ca cause, uh, would impregnate their ears and cause disease, what they would hear, and also their eyes, the gnats, would come and lay eggs in their eyes. And that oil would keep the gnats and those things that would irritate and distort their vision and distort their hearing. See, religion will distort your hearing and distort your vision. But when you, when you approach that same situation, being tutored by the Holy Spirit and being sensitive to the Spirit of God inside of you, you'll find out that the things that irritated me about you, the things that I heard and I saw, don't seem to irritate me anymore. And gosh darn it, I think I'm starting to like you. And if you want your cup, don't clap. Hold on. I'm going to give you a clapping moment. If you want your cup to overflow, have no more enemies in your life. Get rid of all your enemies. Convert your enemies to friends. Welcome them to the table and allow the Spirit of God to begin. Come on. That, that's the picture. I mean... We don't want to have dinner with somebody that annoys us, let alone an enemy. You, come on, y'all looking at me like I'm making this up. You know you have that uncle who absolutely drives you crazy. <laughs> the one that just picks on you every chance he gets. And when you have a family gathering, what do you do? You sit at the exact opposite end of the table. And yet somehow he still finds something to pick on you about. It's like a gift. <laughs> Come on. You know what I'm talking about. We don't even want to sit near the person. And the Lord's saying, I'm preparing a table before you. I want to give your enemies a seat. I'm going to anoint your head with oil. Your cup's going to run over. I'm going to leave you with one last story. And I have a song I'm going to play. Last story is this. It's the parable of the wedding. Jesus tells it like this. The king is, uh, sends his slaves out to invite people to the wedding party. The problem is, is that all the people they go out to invite are people that are too busy keeping up with their lives. They're too busy keeping up their farms. They're too busy keeping up their shops. They're too busy keeping up everything. And none of them accept the invitation. And I, I don't have time to preach all these points. This is like four weeks condensed into one sermon, but I'm telling you right now, church, sometimes we, the church, especially in, in the West, we, the church, become so busy keeping everything up that we forget there's an invitation of the king coming. We will say no to when, the, when the king is inviting us to the wedding feast. We will say no because we think we're doing the right thing by keeping everything up, but I'm telling you right now, when the king invites you, you need to drop whatever you have and go. And in this story, they didn't. And he sent the slaves out, and he said, you know what? Forget it. Forget those people. They're too busy. They don't want to accept my invitation. I want you to go out the, to the highways and byways. 
Now I imagine when the king walked out the door, the slaves were looking at each other and they're like, does he understand what he's asking? So we're just going to go to the highways and byways and pick up random people with all sorts of random problems and invite them to the wedding. And this is actually what it says. I'm not making this up. It says this. It says, those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests, which means in the eyes of the servant or the eyes of the king or the eyes of whoever, both evil and good were invited to the same table, to the same wedding feast. Because guess what? What qualified them was not whether they were good or evil. It was the ones that said yes to the invitation. Some of us are too busy trying to figure out if we qualify to do anything good for God or to come into his presence or to hear his voice or to be used or this or that or the other. At the end of the day, what he's asking for is a yes. So he sat the good and the evil at the table. But what really, really freaked me out is when I kept reading this, I almost didn't use this because I'm like, i got to make sure I'm preaching it in context. And this stupid story ends like this. I'm getting ready to read it to you. And I'm like, this doesn't jive with what everything else is being said here. And, and this is what it says. It says that the king came in to look over the dinner guests. And, and mind you, there was good and evil there. He didn't have a problem with that. This is what he had a problem with. It's dripping on my laptop. It says, he saw one man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called but few are chosen. How do you end a story about inviting people from the highways and byways to the dinner table and everybody being the same, but one guy doesn't show up in the right attire and you bind him and throw him out? That doesn't jive. It doesn't make sense. I'm like, Jesus, what are you saying here? Well, I started to do some research, and you're going to find this out if you do the research on your own, that in these settings that the king would hand out the wedding clothes, the wedding uh, attire. They weren't required to come. These people didn't have anything. And even if you were, if you were dressed in purple, you were dressed in red, you were a Pharisee, you were a Sadducee, you were an educated, it doesn't matter. You'd come in with this. But in the wedding, they would all be handed a robe as they walked in, and that tunic or that robe would be pure white. And that white robe actually represents the righteousness through Christ that we get because of the washing of the blood. And so the king was saying, if you're good, if you're... I can't do that to you. If you're good... Well, like this whole row, I'm messed up. If you're evil, if you're good, 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 good. If you're good, if you're evil, if you're good, if you're evil. There wasn't two separate lines with two separate pieces of clothing. If you're good or you're evil, every single one of them received a robe of righteousness that they were clean and they were the equal in Christ. And because of what Jesus did, they were all on the same level playing field at the same table wearing the same clothes. But there was one guy who really ticked off the king, and that was the guy that was like, I'm not dressing like these people. You're never going to see God more angry. You're never going to see or read about Jesus being more angry than when somebody thinks that because of their stature, their education, their upbringing, their, their denomination, their clothing, their car, whatever it is, that I'm different from these people. You're never going to see him get more upset than that moment right there. 
the minute somebody elevated themselves over another person, Jesus sided on the side with a person that, that, was, that was being pushed aside and downtrodden. That's who he was with. And he said, he said, listen, he said, bind that guy up and get him out of here. Throw him out into the darkness. He said, few, he said, many are, are uh, called, but few are chosen. What does that mean? It sees every person can receive the robe of righteousness through Christ. The washing of their sins because it was every single one of us can receive it. But few choose it because we're too stuck up and keeping our appearance up. Dress like that evil guy down there. End of the day, that's a beautiful part of this. But at the end of the day, the reality is, is that he invited whoever would come from every creed from every place, from every, uh, the poor, the rich, the black, the white, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. And I want to play this song for you that really has been a huge, huge blessing in my life. It's uh, not a Christian song, so just hold on to your horses. All right? Um, there, people that wrote are believers, and the principle behind this song is beautifully, beautifully. Um, scriptural. The song's called Goodbye Road. And it says, strangers, outcasts, artists and thieves, misfits, legends, and lost refugees. We may not be where we thought we would be, but we've made our home down Goodbye Road. Yeah. And it's this idea. You'll hear it throughout the song. In the beginning, he says, I walk alone down Goodbye Road. But at the end, he realizes that every single one of us feel alone, we feel isolated. We feel like we're walking alone down a road that nobody cares. But the reality is, whether you're good or evil, whether you're black, white, wherever you've come from, no matter where you are in life, you can receive that robe of righteousness. And what you're going to find out is along that road, there's a whole lot of other people from all colors, from all places, from all denominations, from all creeds. So as this song plays, I might invite a couple of you up to this table to join me. And I want to close with one thought. Will you play that for me?